Hi, and welcome to Marking the Roll, a podcast for teachers. We're based in the Illawarra, but it's for teachers everywhere in Australia. My name is Phil Dye. I'm an ex-teacher uh, and have done many things, including journalism and music, in the years between coming in and out of teaching. Last week, we looked at the way teaching had changed in the last 20 years, and there's a few um, points that really came out. The points are also on the filtered website, which is the website for the Marking the Roll podcast. That's P-H-I-L-T-E-R-E-D. But come, some of the points that, that came out with it, teachers are snowed under with administrative paperwork and can't give the time they need to students. Um, and that paperwork has worsened over the last 10 years. The teachers' wages haven't kept up with the load. That there is a decline in the respect um, from students and parents and the wider community um, for teachers. Um, And this has led to increased behaviour problems in schools. Uh, Both teachers and principals stated that the lack of teaching experience from the decision makers in government and in bureaucracies was a big source of discontent. Some teachers believe their students, by the way, hadn't suffered much in the COVID, uh, except in a social sense, but their learning hadn't hadn't suffered. Um, teaching was experienced now as being more just a, a cog in the wheel uh, rather than um, educating as a life-affirming practice. Um, but it seemed older teachers with 15-plus years' experience were the ones most disheartened. So um, there was a lot of points that came out of that first episode. This week, we're looking at what can be done to stop the exodus of teachers from the teaching service. And I'm going to give a warning that this contains some uncomfortable words from teachers. There's some uncomfortable truths coming out, and some listeners will not probably agree um, and sometimes I don't agree Um, but this is the voice of teachers um, and it's not the voice of me personally. Um, Our music today uh, in our two brain breaks and for those of you who didn't listen to the first episode we have a couple of brain breaks which is what we should do in a you know 35 to 40 minute um, session um, to give the brain a chance to to relax until you get back into listening and our brain breaks Uh, today are from Jeringong Band, The Water Runners, and I think you'll like them. But to begin with, I spoke to Peter Collins. Peter is a recently retired principal from primary school, and I first asked him about his career as a teacher. Well, I go way back to 1979, Phil, when I graduated and took up my first position in the northwest region of New South Wales. Um, the job there was a fairly varied one where I was travelling around all over the northwest region from uh, Moree, Mungandai, Inverell, Tamworth, all over the place. Um, then I picked up a position at, on the uh, south coast in the, in the Shoalhaven area and I spent most of my career there. Well, I finished my career there as well. Had a year in Canada, 1990, on a teacher exchange and gradually went through promotions to a number of schools, new schools in the area, and finished off as a princi- as a qualified principal at a low socioeconomic primary school. And 
In that time, did you see many teachers leaving the profession? In the early days, no, um, definitely not. But in the latter days, when certainly when I was a principal at my last school, um, there was teachers coming in, newly appointed teachers who basically weren't coping. They were having to go off on stress leave because of the workload that was placed on us. And it was just amazing, the difference. Whereas in the early days, every you were in teaching, you were there for good. Um, and everybody loved it. Like we, you wrote reports once a year or twice a year, maybe. So if you did the half yearly reports and now the amount of time that's taken up having to write a report is just outrageous, I think. But anyway. Yeah. Yes. So, so you saw fairly new teachers. Do you mean new out of university? Yes. Yes. So I, I, I have seen newly appointed teachers straight out of university who've been placed in the classroom who within the first year have gone off on, on stress leave um, just because, you know, they couldn't handle the, the workload, the expectations that were put on there, the scrutiny from the parents. Um, you know, gone are the days where parents used to, once upon a time when I was going to primary school, if I got into trouble at school, I'd get into trouble at home. Well, these days it's exactly the opposite. The parents want to have an explanation as to why their child gets into trouble. So it's just that added added scrutiny that's yes, placed it's interesting, on you. Peter. One of my hats is that I'm a, a tertiary supervisor from Macquarie University, and I had a student a few years ago in third year, uh, and I had to watch that person do their prac. And at the end, uh, when they didn't do very well, and I told them a few things, a few tr- truths that person said that they didn't really like children at all. And I thought, how on earth did she get get this far and get into university? When I Look, I've been sort of having a few chats with my wife as a, a, a retired teacher and my daughter who's a current teacher, and that's exactly one of the things we've just been talking about was teach, teacher training. Um, I don't think it's preparing uh, graduates well enough to come into the profession. Um, for an example, I'm talking to my, my daughter the other day, and she said that a newly appointed teacher at her school um, didn't know what a program is and didn't know how to do any of that. Whereas, you know, teacher, a principal would expect that a newly appointed graduate to be ready to go and face the class and know exactly what's going on. Sure, they need support in the first few few years. Everybody does. You don't you don't learn to be a good teacher straight away. That's all by experience, but this person just had no idea. So we have your view, and it's a common view, that teacher training is simply not equipping uh, young teachers to go into the workforce. Better training might help them stay longer. There's also been the big point that administrative tasks are just destroying some teachers. The the prominent reason for, I think, that faces all teachers these days is just the, the workload. The, um, I remember as a teacher going on strike in the 80s and um, that got us two hours release time. But the, the workload that's come since then, two hours is nothing. And if you're in middle management of school, all of your two hours preparation time goes in administrative um, tasks, uh, trying to work between the principal and the teachers and make sure that everything's working for, for properly. But, um, yeah, the... The workload is just outrageous, I think. Um, you know, for example, you know, doing a program, 
you have not not you only have to prepare what the kids are going to be doing. So in the old days, you, you prepared a classes program. You knew what was coming up in the various KLAs. But now you've got a program for the individual needs of the students. So if you've got a class of 26 kids, you've got to make sure that you're catering for the needs of each one of those individual students, not just a whole class program. So you're saying that if you've got, say, 27 students in a class, you've really got to have 27 individual programs. Yeah, and them. if you've got children with special needs, you know, which, you know, and that's every parent's right to place their children in a mainstream classroom, but if there's a, a child in your class who has special needs and you don't have any support from a teacher's aide or something like that, you know, the interruptions that occur in the classroom are just amazing because the teacher's attention is often having to focus on that child with the special needs. So, so generally mainstream students sometimes are neglected? Well, their, their time, their shared time between the teacher's time, it becomes reduced, doesn't it? And... and I mean, I'm all for having children integrated. I, you know, everybody's got to see the the wide world and under, get to understand. And children, and I'm primary school, um, children just, they really don't care too much if there are children with special needs. But when you get into society, we start to get a little bit more, I don't know what the word is there, not bigotry. Well, yeah, the, the ideology of inclusion goes out the door and it becomes more a, a separation in the workplace, doesn't it? Less understanding, I guess. So I, I don't know what the answer is, Phil. And is there a yeah. template provided by uh, the government or, or, or assistance yeah. given to schools and to you in, in this sort of situation? Look, you, you, I, I don't know whether it's the department. We were always told that you know each school's got to develop their own policies as far as student welfare is concerned. You've got to have your procedures in place, and sometimes it works really well. And then there, there's always the the odd occasion where you have a child where it, it doesn't work. And I know that there seems to be a swing away from special classes or even special schools. Now, I've been at a school where we've had special classes, you know, for autism or for behaviour, etc. And, you know, as, as a lot of work goes into getting children placed in those classes, um, and that's often the best place for them because you're down to a, a very small ratio as far as students to teachers concerned. You also have a teacher's aid. If, however, those students are still in the main, mainstream classroom, well, that's when it becomes this issue that I've just mentioned, where the teacher's attention is taken away from all of the kids in the class. So they're missing out. So the idea of inclusion is wonderful when it comes to gender, when it comes to race, when it comes to sexual identity. But there are some parts of that inclusion that perhaps need to be moderated. Oh, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more as far as acceptance of gender, etc. The things that you've just mentioned. But... You know, you do. There are students who come into a school, and their main aim is to do as much disrupting as they possibly can. So, you know, and how do the other kids get a good education from that? Peter, so, there's been some teachers um, write in and say that the because the profession is being casualised or temporised, I suppose you could say, that it stops yeah. many teachers getting a full time job, and that that means they can't even yeah. get a home loan. Um, which means it stops young teachers from staying in the profession. What I have experienced is um, a, a couple of teachers who were applying for a home loan who came to me 
and asked to make sure that, right, if they were going to be on a temporary basis, then could I write a letter and justify and um, prove what they're doing for their employment? Um, and that worked for them. So it was actually a, a couple who were working in the school. They were able to use the evidence that I provided for their financial institution and, and were able to successfully get a home loan and I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure that they're, they're there now. So, but I do understand because there's such a shortage of casuals um, and certainly under COVID and everything, when you've got people going off on leave, all the casuals are taken up because you've got your classroom teachers off with COVID leave or whatever's going on. So we, we just don't seem to have enough teachers Peter, several teachers have, have um, written in and said that maybe the, the um, four-day-a-week teaching, uh, one day with admin with without any student focus might be the way to go or similar sorts of alternatives. As an ex-principal, would that have worked in your school? Exactly right. And perhaps one of the ways we can keep them more enchanted with the job is to, to have a stronger focus on um, job sharing. Now, I know that that does happen already, and it's, it's ha happened under my experience, you know, where you have a couple of teachers who get together and one says, oh, I want to do three days, another one says, I want to go do two days. Um, I've just recently been talking with a, a, a niece of mine, and she's doing two days one week and three days another week, and she has a young family to look after. For her, that works really well. However, putting my principal's hat on, We've got to make sure that those teachers are able to communicate and get on really well because if that doesn't happen the kids don't have a consistent educational program to follow the expectations as far as behavior we talked about behavior before the expectations as far as the behavior are concerned aren't consistent and therefore the running of the classroom tends to break down when it's done well it's great and it's probably a, a great way of getting people to stay in the job for a bit longer. And Peter, finally, there's been a lot of comments um, come to me regarding the educational bureaucracies and w how much they expect from teachers these days. Phil, I don't know what we can do about all the mandatory training that teachers have to do, the extra time they've got to put in. Like when I was principal, it was at least every second staff meeting, we had to do some sort of mandatory training, whether it be for anaphylaxis or first aid training or you know child protection or some, something like that that's you've got to do. Um, compliance. Yep, all compliance stuff. I don't know how we get a, how you get around it, but it just it just seems to be all of these things adding up, and the pressure comes on if you don't have it, and then we've got accreditation accreditation that the teachers have got to every i forget the number of years now every five or something like that you've got to have a certain number of accreditation points so you've got to do a certain amount of professional learning to keep your accreditation going or otherwise you've got to go through a special uh, improvement plan um and while i love the job the whole time i i was really feeling bad for those teachers who had to keep going through this accreditation process as I was leaving the profession. Peter Collins, recently retired principal. Uh, thanks for joining us in Marking the Roll. Good talking to you. Bye. There was a lot to think about there from better training uh, for in, in teacher education to help them stay in the profession longer to uh, job sharing. Uh, lots of ideas there from, from Peter.
We're going to have the first of our brain breaks, and this is a song called Fire in the Stone from the Water Runners. Band from Jeringong in the south coast in the Illawarra, um, and you can find their music anywhere where you we you get your music, Spotify or whatever it is. One of the tragic uh, things about this episode is to hear from young teachers and how they're not coping. I am exhausted. I worked so hard, and we were three staff short this term. There is not enough time to prepare lessons as we have to write up so many incident reports. I hate that students are believed straight away and teachers are chastised. 
We are threatened with audits and told we are not doing enough when I can't do any more. I am struggling. That was the words of Jade, a uh, high school teacher uh, who had been out of university for five years. I wanted to, to speak to a teacher who has left the profession. I spoke to Rhonda Delaney, um, a teacher who had experience in the field of science and worked in science, then went into teaching and now has left and gone back to that career. I asked her if there was a time when she ever really enjoyed the job. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed the first few years of having my own year four classroom. Um, like that was very satisfying, not not without, you know, dramas, of course, but yeah, I thought this is good, you know, I like this. And then, of course, I decided, oh, I think, you know, I'll put my hat in the ring and become an AP, <laughs> which I think probably started the, the slide down because uh, that is a job that's just cruel, that job. And then after less than five years of being permanent, I've decided I just don't want to do it anymore. So when I first started, people said in five years there'll be so many jobs, you know, you'll get a job, you'll, you'll be permanent, it'll be fine. That that didn't that didn't really turn out how, yeah, that didn't really turn out how I was told. So, of course, it took me a long time to become permanent. And, you know, I can think of one younger teacher in particular who is, absolutely fantastic but still six years you know she's um on a temporary year by year contract and you know she wants to have children she wants to mortgage a house uh, you know she wants to get a mortgage it's all a bit tricky when you're temporary so I, I consider myself really fortunate in that um i had a different career that i could actually return to so if, if i didn't have that i'd still be teaching because i, I can't afford to not work but yeah, where where I work now is is a lot less pay. It's twenty five percent less, but I'm about a hundred times happier. So happier, yes, and healthier, yeah. So, so what? Yeah, there's many reasons that teachers are leaving the profession, and in the first episode, we looked at the amount of um, discontent that was out there with the paperwork, with the administrative work, and all of that. Um, is there any one? reason you think is the yes. main reason that teachers are leaving i just think it's the overall workload so you know if you look at that salary for me it was um when i was an ap it was something like about one hundred and six thousand dollars a year that, that if you just look at that from outside you go oh, that's not bad um you know 12 weeks holiday a year how bad could that be yeah but Someone, a friend of mine said, if you divide that number by the number of hours you actually work, you, you work for about 10 bucks an hour. It, 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 so I think that to answer your question yeah. is it, it's the overall, the, the workload, the fact that you don't do nine to three, you don't even do eight to four. Um, uh, yeah, there are so many factors. You know, yeah. I think that amount of admin, I, I think the amount the, at the school I was working out at rather um, of the paperwork involved with the NDIS was or the NCCD rather was overwhelming when many of us had more than half of the children in our class on the NCCD and and this is a, a bog right. standard school right? this is not a school with no, not a special, not a special school. school and half of the children in your class were on the NCCD. Wow. 
Well, and, and that, did that make a big difference in your class as to the way you had to teach? Yes. It was horribly unfair to the kids who were, in inverted commas, normal. <laughs> That's a horrible word to use. But um, it, in that last year, I had a child, oh, God, I had about four very high needs. Um, yeah, including a, a poor little autistic kid that you know, probably would have been better at a school suited to her, but she would run. She would run yep. at provoked, you know, the slightest provocation she'd run. Um, oh, gosh. Um, very low IQ kids, um, kids with ADHD. I mean, box standard but severe ADHD teamed with autism. It's not unusual at that school um, to find a, a lot of classes, a third to a half, with children on the NCCD. Now, to be fair, some of those kiddies had you know, anaphylactic reactions to bee stings. So apart from that, they were, you know, with, within normal bounds of intellectual capacity. But, yep. yeah, so when you... As you probably know, when you, when there are several children in your class with very high needs, um, the other kids don't get what they should be getting. In in my opinion, well, it's a it's an interesting comment to make because when my daughter was young, mm-hmm. and she was in a public school in year year two, mm-hmm. um, with a severely um, autistic um, and cerebral palsy mm-hmm. student in the room, and yell out the whole time in mm. permanent care mm. constantly yelling out and I, I had to move my daughter from that school mm. because of that very reason that it was um, intruding on the education yeah, levels absolutely and, and because the classrooms are pretty well packed you know like that last year which was last last 2021 um i think i think i had 26 or 27 kids so it wasn't as if i had 12 kids you know i had a lot of kids um, and, yeah. and I, from what I hear, that same school has has the classroom size have increased even in kindy. So yeah, ha- how can right. how can that constant disruption, constant, you know, some kid flipping out? Um, how, yeah. how can that help those kiddies who just want to learn to read and write? And it's here we get to the uncomfortable truths of why teachers are leaving the profession and perhaps what can be done about it. We had Peter talk about students with a disability. We had Rhonda now talk about it. The NCCD is um, it's a government uh, organisation. And look, fair enough, it in, it's there to ensure that students with a disability are able to access and participate in education on the same basis as students without a disability. Now, it seems that this is a major cause of stress because of the paperwork that's got to happen. So the amount of students in a class, as Rhonda just said, that have maybe a third to a half on this NCCD, you've got to fill out paperwork for every one of those students. Um, Now, for next week, I'm going to ask for someone from the NCCD to come onto the podcast and explain it all and, and have a chat. Um, I'm also going to have a chat to people from NISA, hopefully, um, to get their side of the story as well. Um, but it is uncomfortable, and I know there's some people will not like to hear this sort of uh, these words. Um, as well as 
uh, Rhonda, I asked Josh Campbell, who is a uh, maths department head uh, from um, a high school, what he thought about teachers leaving the profession. Well, oh, there's quite a few things, actually. Um, first off, we could actually pay. I think pay parity needs to be addressed as, as a matter of urgency. Uh, as a math teacher for 27 years, like I've seen, you know, teachers come in for about, you do a prac for about four weeks, leave and then do a accountancy and they've contacted me, you know, a couple of years later and say they're earning, you know, double what we're on. And, and, that's, and that's the frustrating part. Um, just yep. cut down the administration of paperwork. I think I think too much administrative is, is just is just just killing us. Just killing us. I don't think as a as a math head teacher, I don't think I've effectively taught a lesson creatively and properly in a, in a number of years. It's just it's just killing us. So you don't have the you don't have the time to put that passion into thinking of something new and something really creative for not, the students. Not really, no. And probably the more so in the last five years is just. Um, it's just it's just been really really struggling at it. It's just you know it's just basically teaching out a textbook again, which is which is frustrating. It's really frustrating. Yeah. My wife also is a teacher, and um, she's actually a visual arts teacher. And, and even for her to say that that her creativity is gone is just it's 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 bad. Yeah, indeed. And you you've suggested um, um, a pay rise of more than ten percent, and you're not the only one. Um, and you've 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 mentioned then a reduction in in the in the paperwork that the teachers have got to do. Why yeah. has this paperwork so increased in the last ten years? Look, I reckon I reckon it's come down to a couple of things. One, yes, we needed some we done some accountability many years ago, and then and when I first started teaching, there was none. But no one stopped it. No one's actually physically stopped and saying, "Hang on, that's enough. We've got to stop there." Um, you know, from things to these IEPs, um, the the lesson plans to differentiate your lessons and, and the proof you need to have um, uh, to teach an effective lesson to to our to our less able kids, to to our um, you know our work samples, to our programs, to even even our professional development, our um, the nest accreditation cycle too. It's 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 really killing us. Um, yeah, and then, and then on top of that, you go have creative lessons and you got to have all this data that's that's not just NAPLAN data, but you got to you know, justify every single bit and pieces. Is you, you're like you, you you're not you're not teacher anymore. You're not they judge as a as a professional. Uh, Josh Campbell, department head of maths from a high school. We're going to be hearing a lot more from Josh um, in other episodes. So again, we have that big issue of paperwork and the amount of paperwork that the bureaucracy insists on stopping teachers from actually doing their real job. After that sobering thought, I think it's time for another brain break. A little bit more from the Water Runners. Come with me, won't you take my hand And we'll go down to the sea Leave our footprints in the sand Feel that water pulling our feet Swim out beyond the break Where the water's blue and green Feel the power of the waves as we make out Wake through the water, floating and free Whoa, ocean roll, free my soul In your waters deep 
lie down in the sun feel so dry on our skin close our eyes to the ocean's hum and sound of the wave calling us in Whoa. ocean roll free my soul That was the Water Runners with the song Ocean, and that is from the Further Down the Road collection, um, which is on Spotify and wherever you get your music. My name's Phil Dye. You're listening to Marking the Roll. And today's topic was uh, why are teachers leaving the profession and how do you get them to stay? We put out a survey on Facebook to teachers um, asking, you know, what would make them stay longer in the profession? We expected about 30 responses. We got 87 responses. Now, in that survey, we had 19 points uh, and teachers could choose four of those points uh, that would help them to stay longer in the profession. Overwhelmingly, with 75%, reduce administrative work. And it was reduce administrative work by half. I hope the bureaucracies are listening. Um, So I'm talking here about the top five. And administrative work was number one. Uh, Number two was uh, an increase in salary between 6 and 10%. Number three was stronger behaviour policies that stopped abuse of teachers. So behaviour policies seemingly are working for the students. They might be working for the parents. They're not working for teachers. Four days a week uh, would help teachers stay in the profession with another day just for admin work. And the fifth one uh, was less intrusion by educational bureaucracies. I'm frustrated with all the garbage I have to do in addition to teaching. I did my teacher's training in a time when getting to know your students was the most important part of your daily job. Now it's data, data, data and always how to improve as a teacher, never how the students can improve. I don't think you remain in the profession for over 30 years if you aren't a good teacher. 
But since our new principal has arrived, I feel like I'm just a crap teacher who is lazy because I push back against all the extra admin. So I've been pushed to make a decision and now it is made. I'm taking long service leave and then I think I will retire mid-2023. If my long service invigorates me, I'll stay until the end of the year, but I'm pretty sure this is the end of a career I have loved. And that was a message I received from Jessica, a sad message, and it seems it's the end of her career. I'm going to finish today's episode with the words of Mark Smith, a principal of a special school in the southwest of Sydney, when we talked about the bureaucracies and the amount of work that a teacher has to do and how we can make them stay in the profession. Look, I, I think the, the uh, amount of accountability that teachers now are, um, re- or that's required of teachers is huge, far more than it used to be. You know, their exposure to parents and the community through social media um, and through the, through the platforms that they're expected to use above and beyond the, the work that they do in the classroom for the students or even above and beyond the prep work they do for those students. So whilst the, the workload has increased, the salary hasn't filled. And, you know, salaries that were, you know, a, a teacher's salary was commensurate with a lawyer's salary 40, 45, mm, 50 mm. years ago. It's not yeah. anymore. Um, you know, there, there'll be people working in trades, non-tertiary educated people earning far more money than, the, yes. than teachers in the in the classroom. So yes. uh, as much as the department and, and the system may praise teachers in times of COVID and praise them in times of crisis and, and celebrate the results that they get, that's, that's great, but it doesn't go far enough. Teachers need to be paid well, much better than yes. they are now. They won't stay in the profession because there's just too much work. On top of the performance that they give every single day, they have all of this other requirement on their times. So I, I would be, re- if, if I had a crystal ball filled, you know, if I had a magic wand, I, I would immediately make teaching a four-day-a-week job with the fifth day being prep day. There would be a day where this is the day where you consolidate um, your programs, you write them, you get ready for the week so that when you do stand and deliver, you're ready to stand and deliver because... You know, I know a lot of people will will um, will have a have a go at standing in front of an audience and and talking about a topic they're passionate about. Well, teachers have to be passionate and knowledgeable about many topics, and they have to do that day in, day out. And 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 a good teacher will will be able to bring their students with them in those presentations. And that's a great way to finish. Thank you, Mark Smith. You've been listening to. Marking the Role, a podcast for teachers. Uh, Next week, I'd planned on looking at technology, and I still will, but before that, I'm aiming to interview Nisa about the administrative load on teachers and also the NCCD to find out if there are any ways that we can reduce the amount of administrative work that teachers have to do. My name's Phil Dye. You've been listening to Marking the Role. I'll see you next week.